People are my passion, and this podcast is about just that. Life, love, careers, relationships, the ups, the downs, the funny, and sometimes not so funny things that happen along the way. I think that everyone has a story to tell, and I want to hear it. So join me weekly as I sit down with everyday people from all walks of life to find out what makes them tick. You are listening to Bright Minds with Ashmon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bright Minds with Ashmon. I have got Kara Keenan here with me today. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey. Thank you so much for making this trek out here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I appreciate you coming. I was just telling Kara that I've got to get better with maybe a little Zoom action, more of these virtual podcasts, but I just really love having someone sit in my kitchen with me. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, okay. At this point, I just always assume the answer is probably yes, but have you done a podcast before? I have. Yes. You have. Okay. You know, I just think like, when did these all start taking off? I mean, I remember listening to my, like, okay, back in the day, I used to listen to Sirius XM radio when I was driving for work because it was like talk radio. Mm -hmm. I listened to like, um, Cosmo radio, which was essentially to me at that time, like a podcast. And then I started finding these podcasts and there were only a few to choose from. And now it's crazy. Thousands of them. I couldn't believe how many we even have like right here in Wilmington. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Crazy, crazy. I'm a huge fan, so I don't mind all this content, but it is a lot sometimes. It is a lot. It Which is- ones do you listen to on the regular? Oh, um, I listen to uh, Chill and Prosper with Denise Duffield Thomas. She's a money mindset coach. She's amazing. Man, I should really probably start listening to more money podcasts and oh, get my, get my life together over here. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, on the way here, I was listening to one of her episodes where she's talking about raising your children with a healthy money mindset, and it was fantastic. Oh, I love that. When it comes to the kids, too, I don't really think about it that way, you yeah. know? Um, okay, so I'm starting to get a little bit more mix on my podcast yeah. of between um, doing friends in the neighborhood and then strangers. Like I just met Kara when she walked to my door, which I love. It helps me grow and learn, you know? So again, thank you for doing this. Cause I know it's kind of interesting to shake someone's hand and then sit down and start doing this thing. I love it. I love the, the whole concept behind your podcast. Is thank just really you. Fantastic. And thank you, Jamie Howe for introducing us. Yeah. I ran into her and I texted you that next day and it all kind of came to be. So I really appreciate it. Okay. So I was doing my homework for our interview and between your company website and your LinkedIn page, I was like, very impressed. You have done so much. I mean, also, can we just talk about LinkedIn and how not cool it is that they let you know when somebody, like, I'm sure you got like an email notification, like Ashley Bright has looked at your page. They're always like blowing up your spot. Sometimes (laughs) I just want to creep on somebody without them knowing, you know? (laughs) I want you to pay for pro to get that. (laughs) That might be my next goal because I really, part of me almost didn't want to click on, I don't know why that bothers me. Obviously, you knew I was you were mm-hmm. coming on here. I had mm-hmm. to like see what I was doing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I do want to kind of get through your journey with cancer, the nonprofit you've started. But before we do all that, I wanted to know a little bit about when I was scrolling down your LinkedIn page and you were in the Air National Guard. Yes. I actually texted our buddy was in the Air Force, went to the Air Force Academy that was down the street. And I was like, somebody, can you like help me out here between the Air Force and the Air National Guard? So I sound smart tomorrow, but I'd rather hear it from you anyways. <laughs> so tell me about that time. What was that like? Well, so I went into the Air National Guard. I think part of it was legacy. My father had been in the Air Force. My grandfather was in the Army Air Guard. Um, No way. I was very much the young woman who, if you told me I couldn't do it, I was going to do it just to prove you wrong. Oh, I love that. 
<laughs> Go ahead, yeah. girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I went in, I had this idea as a young person that I was going to grow up to be a forensic scientist or a forensic psychologist. I was just fascinated by that whole world. And I, I thought, feel like true crime wasn't like a thing then. You right? know? Now we've <laughs> I was waiting for the FBI to show up at my house and put me on a list somewhere, you know? But um, so I thought, you know, I wanted to join the FBI. I knew I needed to go to college, but I wanted some kind of really meaningful experience to lead into that career field. And so I thought, I'm going to go into the Air National Guard so I can do college and that at the same time, get the experience, move forward faster. Um, I tested well on the ASVAB, so I got into military intelligence. And I don't know what that is. What do you tell me? Oh, ASVAB is basically like the entry test you have to take that kind of um, lets them know where your skill sets are. Okay. Um, That's intimidating. Oh, Can you just study for that or it's just like you got it in you or you don't? I bet there's like a book out there. Okay. I was just like, hey, I'm jumping in. Would let's do this. Would not take me in? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no. Um, and so I, I went into military intelligence. Um, you know, I went through basic training and all the tech training that was right around um, September 11th was happening during that time. I just finished my technical training uh, at that point. And so kind of got thrown into that. And, um, you know, I, I lived in Long Island at the time and the base that I was at was out in the Hamptons. And so we were some of well, the- Well, could be worse places to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Kara, that's um, really cool. That's amazing. It was an amazing experience. So when did you find out that you were heading to Iraq? Like, What was that moment like? Um, it was thrilling, honestly. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you were so much cooler than me. <laughs> <laughs> I also had this like wanderlust. And I think there was something about me as a young person that didn't know that. So that's probably I, why I felt like going into a combat zone was exciting. Yeah. Um, were you... Married at the time? No. no okay. So no. you're just single looking out no for kids. you. Okay. Yeah. Just kind of me. Um, my mom wasn't happy about that, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, As a mom now, I can only imagine. <laughs> only imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. But I went, I went over to Iraq. Uh, I was there for just about six months. It was a really incredible experience. Um, the the work that I did, and because I was, you know, Air National Guard, when we're activated, we go with the Air Force, right? And so we're very kind of insulated and protected by all of the other branches of the military. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yes, yes. Appreciate Thank your you. service. <laughs> um, but just having some of the most amazing experiences. One that I had while I was there, um, I'm a, a very faithful Christian woman. Um, and while I was there, I got to go to the site of Abraham's birthplace. And oh, wow. The, the remnants, like the, the remains of his home are there. There's like walls and doorways and um, arches. And it's just this amazing feeling to walk around a site like that unencumbered because there it wasn't like going to a museum. I was actually just going to ask, are there other people there? Are there? Do people lay flowers out? Or is it like a whole? No, it, wow. it was literally at the time. I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but at the time it was just kind of untouched. There was one local Iraqi there to kind of let us know what was going on and then, you know, to watch over us, I suppose. And um, there's a, it's um, the, called the Ziggurat at Ur and it's adjacent to uh, Abraham's birthplace. So there's this enormous temple there and, um, you know, ruins and graves and just amazing things. And to, to walk around in a space and, and share that, you can feel the history on your I skin. I like unencumbered was that, what a perfect word, you know, to, yeah. so different than being in a museum and being with all these other I mean, tourists. Like, yeah. touch anything. Wow. And, and um, it, it is just an incredible experience to just kind of have that oneness with history in this place that 
I had no business being in, you know I mean? Yes. And nothing else would have brought you, you know, you would have never made the trip there had you not enlisted in. I mean, and I was totally the girly girl going into the military with, you know, I had the nineties hair and then, you know, (laughs) that's just, um, it was such a I have a great visual. I'm going to need to see a picture. I'm just saying. The 90s hairstyles. Like I just, I've got you, I've got your mark, Kara. Look, big curls. What about the day to day? I, um, I had a friend, Kevin on this podcast who was in the air force and I asked him this too, but I'm always curious, like, were you scared the entire time you were there? Like constant guard up or did it become like a home for a few months? It absolutely became home. Um, and that's so strange to say because I was literally there when it was still tent cities, you know, we're living in tents, albeit they had air conditioning. So that was good. (laughs) Nice. Yes. Yes. How many, you were there six months? Yeah. Was it during the summer? Uh, yes. Oh my goodness gracious. So are you still, when you came back, how long did you stay in the service? I stayed in, uh, let's see, I came back in 2004. And so I stayed until May of 2006. So wow. another two years. Well, thank you. That yeah. was really impressive. Yeah. Holy moly. I loved it. Okay. Got a fast forward, which it's a big fast forward. And I, sometimes, you know, I would love if this podcast were hours and we could go through all the little nitty gritty details. <laughs> Cause I think that's so fun when you're getting to know someone, there's a lot of life that happens in between, there but is trying to keep this podcast at 45 minutes. So we're just going to have to <laughs> jump ahead. <laughs> um, I guess you kind of knew what we were going to talk about. So I hope that's not too personal, no. but um, I did know, of course, from your foundation, everything that you had, you are a cancer survivor. Yes. Can you take me back to that day when you sat down with your physician and they had to look at you and tell you that you had breast cancer? Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually take you back maybe a couple weeks before that. Okay. I had just gotten married. I had, Doug and I had been married for two weeks when I found no. a lump in my breast in the shower. And uh, we were very much kind of like the classic newlyweds. We had never lived together before. Um, so we were just kind of moving in. I had a daughter from my first marriage. And so it was a lot of the adjustments of life going on as we were kind of getting our start together sure. in marriage. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, so I found this lump. And I, I think in that I just knew there was something wrong. Like this wasn't just going to be some, you know, hormonal thing or some cyst or something. I just knew it. Um, I went to see my OBGYN and she wasn't available. So I sat with her PA and her PA was incredibly thorough. And she just started asking all the questions that needed to be asked. And what we found out, and I hadn't paid much attention to, was that on my father's side of the family, his cousins and second cousins, there had been several women who had died of breast and ovarian cancer at a young age. Do you know, I think that's something you, when you're young a little bit and I, you know, you don't think about your, your family health history. You just really don't. So I, that's fair. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and so, you know, she, she was like, okay, we definitely want to have this biopsied. Um, well, excuse me. She said, we, you know, let's get a mammogram. Let's get a, a mammogram and have you go over there and just take a look. Did at she seem concerned? That, do you know what I mean? You know, sometimes you get a feeling you're yeah. like, uh-oh. Yeah. She um, she was serious, but she wasn't overly, like okay. there was no, nothing in her that said, you know, she knows for sure. Yeah. Uh, but she was definitely serious. Like we need to get this done soon. And I I walked out of her office and as I was checking out of the office, um, the, the woman at the desk said to me, you know, if you go over to this radiologist, just walk in, they'll take you. And I just- God I bless mean, this lady. I know. I know it. Yeah. I, she. I wish I knew her name or could go back and find her. And say thank you for yes. this little quick tip. You because know? she just gave me the relief I needed and got this moving so much faster. Yeah. Um, so I went over, had the mammogram, you know, that whole experience. Immediately was sent for a biopsy. Everything happened really quickly during that time frame. 
uh, when doing the biopsy, it was really, really easy uh, for them. They didn't have to do any kind of like ultrasound guided. It was just, I mean, the lump was large. It was like a golf ball. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so they took a lot of samples and, and, you know, the next day I was, um, working from home and got the phone call right at lunchtime. And she said, Hey, is anybody there with you? And I said, no. And you just know it. That, oh, that just gave me like a lump in the throat. Whew. She said, you have cancer. And I laughed. Okay. I bet they've heard it all. I mean, you can't help what your body's going to do right now. Because it just couldn't. Oh, here I am. I'm <sighs> newly married. I'm in good shape. How old were you, Kara? I was 35 years old. Wow. I have a four-year-old at home. We had, she had just been through her own medical crisis. I mean, there was just, there was no way this was really happening. Yeah. I, um, I called my husband. I called my mom who was working right down the road and I didn't even, she just answered the phone and I said, mom, and she hung up and she showed up at my door like minutes later. I mean, I have goosebumps everywhere. Oh my goodness. Um, and so the next day we sit in the office and uh, the doctor is trying to explain to me, you know, what they found in pathology and what the next steps were going to be. One of the things we always tell people when they're getting this diagnosis is to bring someone with you because you're not going to hear everything. You need those extra ears. As you were saying this, I was thinking I would have to, like, I wouldn't, what did they just say? I'm sorry, what? At some point she said radiation and I went in my head to the song from Imagine Dragons, Radioactive. Yes. And it just was like loudly playing in my head. I couldn't get out of, it just kept going and going. I thank God that my family was there to hear with me because it just. So at this, okay, when you, is this still OBGYN that's telling you this? Or are you now? This is a surgical oncologist. A surgical oncologist. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you get, they connect the dots straight to oncology. Yeah, absolutely. Holy moly. Absolutely. One of the things I was going to ask that you kind of touched on is, do you feel like you knew before you knew? I did. That's so, I always wonder that, like, would your body just, when you kind of know something's going on and you got to listen to that, but it's sometimes we push that away, but I always try to teach my kids that already. Like that little, that gut, that voice intuition, right? There's something there that you just kind of know what's going on, you know? Goodness gracious. So, okay. You're sitting there with this radiation oncologist and they're mapping out, like, what's the next step? What do you do when you leave that building? Um, so at that time it was just, let's start scheduling appointments, right? I needed to see a medical oncologist. I needed to see a radiation oncologist. I had to meet with a plastic surgeon to talk about reconstruction. Um, we had to make an appointment for surgery. There are a ton of scans and tests and blood work and all these things. It literally becomes a full-time job in that moment. Like your entire world is just consumed. Did you have to quit your job? I didn't actually. Is that um, a weird question? I was curious. No, said. no. Um, you know, obviously treatment affects people differently. Sure. And so that answer is very different for different people. Yeah. For me, I had a really supportive um, work family and I was working online at the time already. So that made it- How the times? I, I mean, that wasn't know, a thing like back even then. before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you tell your daughter? I know she was really young then. How did you, how did. Did you navigate that? So uh, there was this really powerful moment where I was driving her to preschool and I had been crying and she was sitting in the back seat and she, we met our eyes, you know, in the rear view mirror. And she said, mommy, what's wrong? And so she had, again, just gone through this medical crisis of her own where she had to have major surgery and it had taken, you oh know, six goodness. months to recover from and uh, it was a big, big deal. Uh, so I used that to kind of explain to her, like, you know, you know what you just went through, mommy's 
there's something wrong in mommy's body and I have to go to doctors and there's going to be a lot and, and I'm scared. And I said, you remember what it's like to be scared. And she just kind of shook her head. And um, she looked out the window and I just, I remember this like it happened in slow motion. She looked out the, the, the window and she saw this tree and she turned back to me and she said, mommy, be brave like a tree. Oh my gosh. How does this four-year-old. Why is that so amazing? Wow. And I actually ended up starting a blog back then just to help kind of communicate with my family and friends who are all over the United States called Brave Like a Tree. And it just chronicled the whole experience of treatment and all the surprises and just life in general. Did you find that to be like therapeutic for you through the journey? I did. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, I was a college English teacher and a writer, writing teacher, right? So writing was just a natural kind of thing for me to go to at that point. Um, so yeah, so we're sitting in the car. She says this amazing thing. And I'm just so struck by like, she really gets it. You know, she can yeah. really get this. And um, my fear the whole time was that you know, by the time I got through the full diagnosis process, we had learned that I had stage 3B breast cancer, right? It had already advanced into lymph nodes. By the time oh they gosh. removed the, uh, by the time I had the mastectomy, they found that the tumor was basically the size of a large lime. Uh, excuse me, large lemon. It was uh, it was big, uh, much bigger than what we had my even initially just, felt. Like, someone yeah. could see her and I'm like, oh my goodness. It was huge. Um, and it had already gotten to the lymph nodes. And so the likelihood that this is going to come back is, I mean, it still weighs on me n- nine and a half years later. I was right? going to ask you that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, when I was talking with Charlotte, I really wanted her to understand that I didn't necessarily have all the answers because I was so afraid that something was going to happen and then she would have thought that I lied to her. Or right, I like if you're promising something. her you were going to be okay. Yeah, and then, I, know. I get that, yeah. So I was honest with her in language that was appropriate for her. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I hate that cancer has been such a part of her life, but also she has seen resilience and hardship and growth and strength and bonding and love. Can look at all the positives from it and how it shaped her into who she is today. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Did it test your faith some back then? I'm not sure what happened to your daughter, but going through that and then to turn around and be slapped in the face with that, you're just like, what, why, what is happening here? Yeah. Um, I I get teary eyed even thinking about it. It's hard to, um, I did. I I challenged my faith quite a bit back then. Um, and you know, I just, I, I, I was stuck in a place of why me for a while. Which seems, I, I'm glad you admit that. That seems like a very real, honest feeling that I would yeah. be struggling with if I were in your shoes. Yeah. I think, um, at one point though, it just, something just switched and it was like, why not me? Oh. And then I came to a place where it was like, what have I done my whole life that I can take and learn from this and do something better. And um, for me, that was really just finding a way to serve other people so they didn't have to experience it the way that yeah. I did. Yeah, They didn't have to suffer the ways that I did. And um, I think I'm a teacher at heart, right? And so I, um, I, I serve others that. and I love to teach and I, I love to help others grow. And um, I'm a big believer in when, when you are lifted up, you turn around and you lift up another. Um, and paying it forward. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. So this process, how did you, which this is kind of a segue into how I'm sure your, your, um, nonprofit got started, but how did you deal mental health wise? Did you 
you know, allow yourself to grieve? Did you have moments of just, I got to sob today and be sad, but I also want to stay positive and fight through this. Like, how did you take care of yourself during that time? Yeah, I got really good at being in the moment. I learned that from a friend. She introduced me to the whole concept of mindfulness, like really early on in my journey. Which is such a hot topic now. I'm obsessed. I, know, I love watching right? these podcasts. I love listening to podcasts on mindfulness, mindfulness meditation, all the different things. Yes. She um, she just kind of gently introduced it to me and I it, it worked really well for me to just be present in the moment. And so if I was sad or scared, I felt it. But I didn't have to own it in a way where I had to carry it with me like baggage all the yeah. time. I was able to just feel it, let like process it, work through it, and then move on. And I really started to learn to practice gratitude and to find I, and I say this a million times, I will never say that cancer is a gift. It's not. It is hard and it is awful, and no one should have to go through it. Yeah. But like with any other challenge in life, there are going to be positives. And if you look for them and you acknowledge them, you will grow. And then when you grow, you help others around you grow. And that, there's power in that. Kara, holy moly. So Gosh. <laughs> I can walk out the door a better person today. <laughs> that was amazing. So you started um, a foundation called Going Beyond the Pink. That's right. And it essentially to me is kind of all the resources, somebody that gets diagnosed with breast cancer, all the resources that you would need kind of in one, they can come to you, one little package. Or yeah, is that kind of, yeah, <laughs> basically, some way to sum sure. it up? Did you find that when you were going through this, that was a hard part to navigate? Like what all is out there? What do I do next? Yeah. I can't imagine the thoughts that go through your mind between a mastectomy, between am I going to lose my hair? Like just so many Am I going to, how's tomorrow going to look? Am I going to feel sick? How am I going to, you know, there's so many questions. Yeah. We kept kept thinking that like every time I went for a chemo treatment, like, oh, this is what it's going to be like. So then I can prepare for the next one. And yeah. then the next one, it was always so different. And that was so hard. I'm, I'm a big time like planner type A, all of it, right? Same. That's hard. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to control it. I want to plan it. Yeah. I think a big part of my experience was I got really tired of things happening and then finding out later that there was a resource or a way that something could have helped me or having to dig around to find the answers. I was so frustrated that there wasn't something that was just readily available right when I got diagnosed to say, here you go. This yeah. is going to be so, this, you know, we'll help you get through it. And this is, you know, it's going to be hard, but you're not alone in this. And then the other thing was, um, you know, we have, I, I call it the tapestry of pink. We have a great community of support. We have, amazing medical professionals. We have, you know, whether you're looking at conventional medicine, whether you're looking at supplemental or alternative integrative strategies, we have access here to so much. And that's an incredible gift, but it doesn't just affect your health. It affects every aspect of your life, particularly in that time frame when you're going through treatment. And so, you know, where were the people that were, were going to be you know, able to tell me like, how is this going to affect my daily life? Right. Sure. How do I make choices around work? How do I make choices around finances? Um, just, you know, how is this going to affect my relationships with my husband, with my daughter, with just everybody, you know, absolutely. my whole community. It's just, a it's, all these things are going through my mind. I have yeah, so many questions. Absolutely. <laughs> and it really does. I, I, I liken it to a waterfall where it just you know, this water comes rushing out all over your life and everything around you gets wet, right? It's just 
everything's covered. And it's this process of kind of trying to emerge from that and figure everything out. And um, I just knew that there was a better way. There could be a better way. Um, part of being having been a, a teacher in college was really understanding research. And so I was able to do a lot of research and identify really credible authoritative sources and kind of, you know, this internet age, it's really easy to kind of Google doctor everything and go down rabbit holes. <laughs> it's almost too much though for me sometimes. Yeah. I get overwhelmed and I don't know where to start. You know, yeah. there's just sometimes I need it all in one place because next thing I know I'm setting websites into something different, you know? Absolutely. And you know, I think one of the most powerful things in our language are the words me too, right? Because when someone can truly empathize with what you're going through and they can listen and they can support you in a way where they really get it and you don't have to protect them in it because yeah. they've already been there, yeah. right? That's really powerful. And so I think that I just kind of recognize that and built off of that. And so Going Beyond the Pink started as a way to do that, as a way to share this knowledge that I had gained along the way. Um, but it has morphed into something so much bigger than me, and I'm so grateful for that. It's one thing, to, I think, to have a dream or a vision or, a, you know, I want to give back, but you you did it. Like, you got it up and running, which I can't even imagine. So how did you start? Like, where, how did this start to, and to expand into where it is now? I had met um, through another local organization, uh, another a woman who had just kind of worked in the breast cancer world for a while, and she knew the lay of the land, and so she kind of helped guide me there, and we worked together, um, just brought together community partners and started talking about, you know, what we wanted to do together, and just grew it over time, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is once people know you're there, then they tell others, and they tell others, and it just kind of- So it's is organic. that how it works, essentially? Like, if-, if someone finds out tomorrow they have breast cancer, they can come, they come to you guys? Like, is that, do you start at the beginning of this journey? What all do you navigate with them? So the one thing I realized is that point when they're sitting down with the surgical oncologist to get the diagnosis, that is a point where there's an entry to get in and help them right from the very beginning. And so one of the things that we do is we put together care bags and in the care bags, there's all these lifestyle things that are going to help them and tons of information, right? Educational packets on every topic from, you know, the, the mental health side of things yeah. to, you know, nutrition, to dealing with the finances, to just a glossary of terms. I mean, all this information that you'll need, uh, referrals to local community partners that can really be helpful along this journey, other organizations that can be supportive. Like it's all just in this one bag. And we partner with all the local oncologists to give them the bags to give to their patients when they're diagnosed. That way, someone has that information right away. And even if they're not ready for it right then, they, they can go back there. to it. Yeah, they yeah. know it's there. Yeah. Um, and then they reach out. And um, now at this point, we offer financial assistance to help with out-of-pocket medical costs. Do you get grants for this? Do you fundraise? How do you do all that? We are very lucky that we have such an amazing supportive community because a majority of the funding that we have comes from fundraising, whether that's, um, you know, local communities coming together, um, neighborhoods coming together to do golf tournaments, things like that. They do just a ton of fundraising that way. Uh, we have our dance every year, which is so fun. We have a big dance party. I love Where is this? Oh my gosh. It's a Tell different place every year. I know, right? <laughs> um, every, it's, we usually have it late September, early October and just have a, an amazing time just dancing our hearts out and having a having a ball. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you get to know all of these, all of your 
I don't know. I wanted to call him a patient because that's what I yeah. think. Do you get to know these women? Yeah. Um, women and men. I, you know, breast I'm cancer sorry. She definitely affects. No, yeah. breast cancer affects men too. It's much more rare, but it does happen. Um, yes, I do. Um, I'm a very emotional person and it's really hard for me to put up walls. I love meeting I people. I wondered and knowing their that. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. And it hurts because, you know, obviously there's loss involved with cancer too. Um, and the longer that I'm in this world, the more people we lose and it's painful and it just, uh, that sits with me. But at the same time, it motivates me to keep going and help others because I know that that's what they would want. Absolutely. Um, and that's what I want to keep doing too. So, uh, yeah, I, um, I think I lost track of the question. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like thinking so of all these the people, right? About. I guess it um, is. I mean. Because at one day, it, this is your essentially your job now, your career. Is, yeah. So it's interesting. Like, do you get to know all these women, and how do you separate? I guess you don't. I mean, right? You're still grieving with them, going yeah. through it with them. I uh, I asked someone else who who does similar work uh, about five years ago. Like, how do you do this, right? Because we had just lost the first uh, person, and it was so hard, and I was really grieving, and uh, she didn't seem to be feeling it the same way I did. And she said, you know, I just. I have to put up walls because that's what works for me. And I thought, okay, I get that. That's what works for her, but that could never work for me. And so I feel it. And I'm lucky to have really supportive family and friends around that I can share that grief with and they help me move through it. Um, it's hard not to kind of personalize that too and to yeah. worry about my own situation because um, I, I never know if my cancer is going to come back. I can only control the things that I can control and I have to I wondered that, like when you found out, the, you finally find out, okay, it's gone. Like this is, I am now in remission. Were there mixed feelings that came with that as well? Like that a constant fear of how often do you go now to? Uh, so I'm actually about to, I'm, I'm like six months away from getting dismissed from having to go to follow appointments, which oh is really goodness. incredible, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, so the, the year of treatment is really intense and it's kind of like you put your head down and you get through it. And you're not, I think if someone gives me a timestamp too, I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this is, I, I got one year, this, right? There's sure. this like barriers around it that you can just manage it. Um, and it's when that point is over that it gets really hard because you think about the community that supports you. They're supporting you when you're going through treatment because that's when the biggest visible needs are. So people are bringing you dinners. Yes. What can I do for your daughter? How yes. can I support your husband? Exactly. Yeah. And then when you're done with treatment, it's like this big celebration, right? It's over and you get to move on and they move on, but you don't. Wow. Because that's the, now you're not being seen by doctors 24 seven and you're not, you don't have all of that support around you. And then you're left in the space where you have to really process emotionally, um, physically, right? There's this, you, you, there's so much that needs to sure. happen at that time. Did you feel like a different version of yourself yes. after this year, Mark? I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, physically, emotionally, yeah. mentally, you're, you're forever going to be different. You are. You, you are. know, I even asked my husband at one point, I was like, you know, I, I wouldn't think of you as a bad person if you would just like had to leave at this point oh. because I was, so, I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> I found a good one. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, I love that. I wondered how, I mean, a new marriage yeah. navigating that I cannot imagine. So he sounds far. like a good one. He really is. Wow. I love to share this story. There's uh, when I was going through chemo the day after I would have to get this shot called Nulasta and it helped to keep my white count up so that I didn't get so sick after every treatment. But Nulasta causes extreme bone pain. And so oh, I would be sitting in the middle of our bed just rocking because I did I couldn't even verbalize at that point the pain that I was in. 
and he didn't know how to help me. So he literally would just wrap himself around me and rock with me and he would just pray. Oh, and I like this guy. Just, oh, he's amazing. Oh my he's gosh. Amazing, and then you have this little girl running around at what a wild age. And he had to kind of learn to be a dad out of Hi. nowhere and do all of this and just, uh, yeah. Wow. It was really an incredible time. So this was all how many years ago and you're just, you're six months out of being, does that mean they won't, no more scans, no more? No more. And it's actually kind of a, does a that false, give you they don't even really anxiety? do scans unless you have symptoms. Okay. Um, and yes, I have a lot of anxiety around it. As a matter of fact, um, and, and this is kind of common, but there's after the year of treatment, um, anytime that there are kind of indications that there might be something else going on, they're going to follow up and they're going to do scans and they're going to do other biopsies and things like that. Um, in the time since my initial year of treatment, I've had seven biopsies and 11 other surgeries. Wow. Yeah. So it doesn't end with treatment. Uh, it's a, it's a lifelong thing. I'm sitting here in front of you right now and I have six tumors in my liver and two in my spine that they believe are not metastatic cancer. So, I mean, these are just, this is part of it, right? My heart is beating extremely fast right now. Holy yeah. moly. Treatment really, um, it saves your life, but it destroys your body in, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of time and energy around, you know, they call it your new normal. You have to kind of get used to this new normal, but it's Were so you um, a couple of weird questions? Mm. I don't know. Some this is the way my brain works. <laughs> if you get sick, just you've got a cold, the flu. Does that make you extra nervous? I don't know what. Like even going through COVID, what was that like with your immune system already? Yeah, scary. Oh that my really goodness. Scary. Yeah. Um, it, you know, especially early on when nobody, we really didn't Listen, know anything. That misinformation was and all wild. That. It was sure. so hard. Um, and yeah, I was I was afraid. I, you know, I I don't like to admit. That course, but I was definitely really I afraid. I think that seems very normal. That was yeah. the first place my brain went was like, I would, you know, yeah. you were immunocompromised. Like that would be terrifying. I think so with breast cancer, if it's going to metastasize, it almost always metastasizes to the brain, the bones, the liver, and the lungs. I work for a respiratory company. Oh, no, you know. Um, yeah. I actually share that fact a lot because lung cancer is underfunded. I mean, there's nobody wants to do it. I, people always think, assume that it comes from smoking and that's yeah majority of the time, not where it comes from. That's it's true. metastasized there. Yeah. And a lot of time, a lot of my patients are breast cancer. Yeah. 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 Goodness gracious. So if you're feeling, I just always think if I was feeling funny one day, just mm -hmm. signs of a cold, then my brain would instantly start messing with me to think, yeah. uh oh, every headache's a brain tumor. At this okay. Point, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> thanks for being honest. Cause yeah. I'm like, am I nutty over here thinking yeah. that? Or <laughs> no. And I, I think that is, um, it's one of the things that you have to learn to manage over time. Yeah. Um, and it is harder at first, for sure. You know, the first few years after, I think, are, are some of the hardest because you really are trying to navigate um, just this this new person you've become. Imagine. The other thing is the the way it changes your life priorities and your goals, right? I mean, you you understand time in a very different way yeah. when you've come so close to not having any more. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of amazing, though. And again, I feel like you exude this positivity that I, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm. You've like lifted my day up already. Oh, like yay. that's amazing. <laughs> but to, that's who I want to be always, and I feel like I'm always striving to be. Is life is going to deal with a lot of unfortunate circumstances, and it's what you do with them. And look what you've done. Yeah. And like I can't only begin to imagine the amount of lives you've changed and the people you've met and come in contact with. That's really amazing. It m brings so much purpose to my life. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. Which is what it's all about, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't, you know, want a purpose-driven life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what else is there? Yeah. Can I ask, um, 
I never know if something's too personal. So just Go for it. Is, so is I know they do that genetic testing now. It, do you have that gene, and do you know if your daughter has carries that, or when do they look for that? So they t so yes, I do have the BRCA two genetic mutation. Okay. I should have learned what that was called. I'm sorry. Oh no, that's fine. <laughs> There's actually a lot more that you know the general public just doesn't even know exist. You know because we're kind of in this renaissance of um, understanding genes and seeing the connections between genes and disease. Sure. Um, but so yes, I had the um, BRCA two genetic mutation. Um, it's likely also that a lot of the environmental exposures I've had over time kind of guaranteed that this mutation would get turned on, I suppose, as uh, a good way to put it. Wait, um, can you tell me more about that? Oh, yeah. Um, so like I'm picturing, I, I don't know, what happened? Yeah, so 15% um, of breast cancer at most is no, linked to a known genetic mutation, right? Okay. So at this point, based on what we know, there's like 85% of of breast cancer is caused by environmental toxins, right? Oh, jeez. And some of that we can control and some of that we cannot control. Um, most of it we don't even know about, right? I mean, we just think we live in this society where we're kind of protected by all the powers that be and I everything so, that we guess, yeah. can buy is safe and that's not true. Um, but also, you know, I live in this area that has PFAS contamination uh, through something called JEDEX. And, you know, locals will be familiar with, with what that is in the water. Um, and what um, they've discovered essentially is that, uh, the thousands of different types of PFAS chemicals that exist, um, can affect your, um, DNA and, and cause genetic mutations, but they can also kind of turn on these genetic mutations. I'll never be able to say that I got breast cancer because of PFAS. Sure. Never. But I was born on an Air Force base and PFOAs are one of the PFAS chemicals that are used in firefighting foams across like all military bases. Um, and so people who have been on military bases have been exposed to these chemicals at higher rates than other people in general. Oh uh, my firefighters, goodness. you know, any like first responders, these kinds of, we're, we're around it more. Um, 99% of human beings have this in our bloodstream anyway, because it's also in things like Teflon coating in our pans and um, any like gear that we have that's waterproof has yeah. this stuff in it. Um, and so, but we have a, a company that was basically dumping their PFAS waste into our large streams. And so we've all been drinking it for decades and not knowing it. Yeah. Great. Right? Something to make me lose sleep <laughs> at night. <darn> it. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know. <laughs> I feel like I could go on a kick then sometimes where I'm like, well, I'm going to aluminum-free deodorant. Yes. I'm going to eat this way. And then it's hard to maintain. It's it terrible. It is. That was something I really learned in this journey too is, you know, I knew that I needed to pay attention to the toxins that were in my environment, but I also knew how overwhelming it would be to try to just like flip a switch and, and get it all out. You just yes. can't do that. That's not the world we live in. I did wonder that, which I'm sorry, I didn't even let you finish this. Mm. I'm really, I love yeah, having a podcast. So I'm really bad at finishing <laughs> a thought because then my brain's going somewhere else. But I wondered what kind of changes you made to your day-to-day -day life, whether it's your diet, you know, what you're putting into your body, products you're using. Like, did you change all of that? No, well, I haven't changed all of it yet. Um, I'm still working on it, right? It's, it's nine and a half years later since my diagnosis. And I'm still working on it because it's it's got to be slow to become real and permanent, right? right? Um, we just can't flip a switch and change everything all at one time. It's not, not practical. like right. you I mean, it's just like with any diet or anything <laughs> you've ever been on, right? You can't just kind of be done. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we started with the water. 
Um, we started with adding more plants into our diet. I had been in this phase randomly where I was eating such junk. It was terrible. Well, you have little kids. And speaking from someone I mean, over here who's got a nine and a seven-year-old. Nuggets is, and candy. I, it's like, called a on. gas station diet. So, I mean, it's getting a little better. But, yeah. you know, because yeah. I was sick of cooking these like lovely meals just to have people push it around and not eat it. Yeah. But now I'm eating not age appropriate anymore. I got to get back on yes. track. Yes. Yeah. Oh. So, I mean, there's just – there's so much evidence be behind eating a plant-based diet and yeah. um, there's so much evidence that shows like all these toxins in our environment and all these chemicals that we use every day. Um, they're endocrine disruptors, right? They're, they're messing with our hormones. They're messing with our genes. It's just really disrupting our health. Um, you know, how many people suffer from chronic disease? How many people have sleep issues or Why insulin Why do I feel like these numbers are just or, on the rise? I mean, like it's crazy. just crazy. Do you know, I actually just shared this with Care Off Air, but I took um, in college a vegan cooking course. And there was just so much data through this. Well, I was learning how to cook, but the data part behind it was just what a plant-based diet can do for you. And all these studies that have actually proven it. Yeah, why don't I do it? Like that's I'm yeah. kind of out of myself right now. Like if you just open that pantry, just good gosh, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, oh yeah, get it together Absolutely. over here. I think we all need health coaches in our life to help us kind of get to that next step of taking from the knowledge to the doing Knowing it and implementing it. Are <laughs> Very different things. Sales. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, that's something I have an extraordinary amount of knowledge around all of this. But I also struggle all the time to implement it, right? You have your good days, you have your bad days. It makes I mean, you human, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. And I, I think when we're all kind of honest and vulnerable about that, you know, it's easy to look at, you know, anybody's life and, and their story and say, wow, you're incredible. But also we all kind of, you know, put our underwear on the same way and trip yes. and fall and do stupid things. I mean, it's just <laughs> life, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just, I like to be honest about that. Well, I know I, I, I love an honest person, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's I'm refreshing. Jamie was like, I think you guys are going to really hit it off. You know what I asked you and I didn't let you finish. I was, and I hope she wouldn't mind if you shared that, but I was curious about your daughter and how, what age they look for that in her when they would test her. So, um, companies don't start testing until you're at least 18. They don't like to do it until you're more like in your twenties. Okay. There's a lot of, is that core, like, do they wait for uh, hormonal changes nope. or it's just, no, okay. because I mean, you could test a child at any point in their life and you could see if that genetic mutation existed. Right. So, uh, we could test her right now and know whether or not it, it does or it does not exist. She has basically a 50, 50 shot of having it. Is there um, like a mental component there too, or would you want to know? I don't know how old I, you just told, I, would you want to know if you're 16 years old that there's this chance you could I would you would yeah what would you do differently um, or is it something you'd watch closer so you know the thing that we know is that you can't necessarily control what's going to happen with that genetic mutation but you can control what you put in your body what you surround yeah. yourself with you can all of these pillars of health right you can you can manage your stress. You can't get rid of stress. You can manage it. You can change things in your lifestyle to have better sleep and to cope with things differently. And you can eat better and you can surround yourself in joy. All of these practices that we know to be healthy, you can do that. And then maybe make it so that gene doesn't flip over, you know, that, that doesn't yeah. happen to you. Um, because it's not a guarantee just because you have that genetic mutation that you're going to get breast cancer. It's sure. a much higher likelihood, right? Like 85% or something like that. Um, so th that's what I would have done differently. And that's what yeah. I, with her, um, you know, like I said, we've been very, very open with her about this whole experience. And so 
She knows that her risk is much higher than most of the, you know, her friends. Uh, she knows that she's got to make good choices around eating and and her mindset and things like that. She's not always going to do it right. I'm not always going to be a great support of that. I mean, it's just <laughs> right. human life, right? But yeah. um, she knows that. And and I I respect that. I like that you guys were open and honest with her and she's going to learn to make better choices at a younger age, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah. Right. When she's going to make mistakes, just like all of us still are, but yeah. it's uh there's definitely um, kind of a, a challenging part because as girls um, kind of go through puberty and um, their hormones change, they're going to have a lot of hormonal fluctuations that can cause things where they're going to feel lumps and bumps and things like right. as their breast tissue is growing. Um, so we have to talk about that so that she knows, you know, if she feels something that it's not automatically that she doesn't have cancer, right? Yeah. You know, um, so we, we've had to have some interesting conversations at, at uh, younger ages because we made that choice to, you know, tell her everything. I really respect that. that though. That's something I'm hoping, again, my kids are young, but when Steve and I would just have conversations about raising our kids and I, honesty is really important to me and it is trying to find the right words at age appropriate words, but I always wanted to just be real with them because I want the same on the flip side. You know, I feel like if I can be honest with them, I'm hoping that they'll always be honest with me. Yeah. We'll see. I don't know. I might be messing this all up, but <laughs> I know we can never really know. Right. But, um, uh, my sense is that, uh, she and I are really, really close and yeah, well, we have an incredible bond. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful every day just to have another day with her. I, that was oh. the hardest thing when I was going through it all was thinking I wouldn't be here to raise her. That, that's going to get me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It uh, gets yes, me every time imagine. too. Yeah. So tell me, okay, but back to going beyond the pink, how can people help Kara? Like how can they get involved? How can they donate? How can they come to this awesome dance party? Tell me more about that part yeah. of it. So, well, of course, the number one thing I'll say is if it is in your means to do so, please, you know, support your local nonprofits, whether it's going beyond the pink or whatever cause that uh, you have passion around. The local nonprofits really struggle, particularly in this kind of economy, um, to keep the doors open and keep doing the good work. So if you can donate, please donate. Um, Goingbeyondthepink.org, just click donate. It's really easy. <laughs> okay. Um, but also your voice volunteer hours, your skill sets, your connections, your network. Um, you know, maybe you have it in your heart to join a, a board of directors and help to connect that organization with the people that you know. Um, maybe you want to volunteer your time and your efforts, um, you know, packing care bags or like right now we are opening an office in our local mall. Um, the uh, Brookfield Properties has made it incredibly easy for us to do that. Um, they've given us a prime spot right outside of one of the anchor stores. I mean, it's like That's amazing. amazing. Absolutely. Yes. And we've had so many fantastic community members, um, business owners come together to make this happen by donating things like carpeting. Thank you, Discount House. And, um, <laughs> Please give them a shout out. I, I know, right? but just like services, right? So we're getting this space ready to be this amazing, beautiful space where people can come now and we don't have to do it all virtually anymore. Um, and they can come and they can just get all of the things they need. I can sit with them and help them navigate this landscape. So just knowing like if you're tapped into the nonprofit community locally, you'll know what their needs are. Um, and there are so many amazing nonprofits locally that are doing just incredible work. Kara, this has been amazing. I'm feeling all inspired oh, and jazzed right. up. Thank Good. you for doing this. So go and beyond the pink.org. Yes. People can find her. It's Kara Keenan, K-E-N-A-N, -N, yep. and Kara with a K. Yep. 
Hey, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I really enjoyed this. I hope it didn't go too far. I'm still trying to find that in between balance. <laughs> Never. Thank you. Um, guys, I thank you for your support for this podcast. You can continue to listen on Spotify. You can follow me, Bright Minds with Ashmon. But again, I appreciate the support. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. Bye-bye.